Hi there, listeners. Just a quick note before we begin. I wanted to say thank you to everyone who has reached out or sent well wishes to Megan. I know how much that means to her right now. And obviously, until she's recovered, I won't be talking about Dune, so I do apologize for that. However, if it's content you came for, I do have a little show that I'm doing with my friend El Busco, and we're currently talking about Amazon's Rings of Power series. Uh, I promise, I promise that Megan will be back and we will continue our read through of the Dune series. But until she's fully recovered, this is what we'll be focusing on and putting up content for. It's called Party Business, a Rings of Power podcast. And I hope you enjoy it. And thanks so much for hanging in there with us. Bye. Hello and welcome to Party Business, a Rings of Power podcast. We are here to talk Tolkien, but so much more about the power of the female gaze in fantasy. Make no mistake, this is an unapologetically thirsty podcast, but we hope that with our episode discussions, lore deep dives, there will be something for everyone. For those of you who don't know, I'm Bo North. I host the podcast Let's Get Weirding, which is being hosted on their feed at this time. So you all know me. I am a novelist. I currently review television over at The Spool, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm El Busco, she, her. I co-host podcasts with friends and occasionally contribute review content to The Spool. Yes. Every now and then. <laughs> so we're technically co-workers. Yeah. But more like friends in thirst, sisters in thirst. Oh, yes. We can because, thirst together like no other. <laughs> <laughs> because, Elle, you are, the, you are the friend that I know I can go to. And I'd say, this show is very horny and I need you to watch it and you will watch it. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened with Rings of Power. <laughs> it is exactly what happened. This is why we're here. Um, yes, the show is absolutely gorgeous. It's, you know... A beautiful sweeping epic fantasy but it's thirsty yeah there are some very um deep thirst veins <laughs> right <laughs> under the surface <laughs> of this entire show and you know i've i've said it to you before uh Bo, but tolkien does chaste thirstiness better than anybody oh my gosh yeah and even like reading just barely skimming the surface of some of these um some of the lore and some of the stories in the Silmarillion um especially those about like the human elf pairings like yes. Luthien and Baron like he the, loves a human elf pairing there's so much of that chaste horniness in, in that I, I hate to keep using the word horniness but really there is no it's what it is yeah because it's, it, it's, it's not out and out, you know? Right. It's it's there. It's horniness. It's there if you want it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's all in how you look at it. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to offer a different perspective on Tolkien, which is through the female gaze. We're seeing this a lot more in fantasy adaptations these days, I feel like. Um, yeah. If you need any other examples, just look at... The Wheel of Time series, also yes. on Amazon. Um, just casting Daniel Henney as Lan was 
an act. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was a very conscious choice. It was like, a choice. <laughs> we know this storyline's hot, and we're just going to make it even worse for everybody. Because mm-hmm. we're going to cast the hottest man possible yeah. to play the ward of Moraine. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, and I think it would be good to get into it before we discuss the actual first episode about sort of the context of the show and how how you know unexpected it was that some passion project of Jeff Bezos became yeah. something that I love so much because I'm not a big fan of Jeff Bezos. Yeah, you wouldn't. I I never think I've never thought like yeah I really want Jeff Bezos to win. You know, no one who <laughs> right. who does right <laughs> who's sitting there thinking I really want him to to have one. Right. Um, but uh, I think it's so interesting because so much of the talk, you know, the initial talk that I. Um, heard and read about this show in particular was about the incredible budget. I mean, it, mm-hmm. about a billion dollars. Yeah, um, nearly a billion dollars, I believe, they spent on yeah, the show. And I show. feel like it shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for a show. Um, and, you know, I, I think part of the conversation, too, was that, you know, this is, it. it's not, it is a passion project. Um, it's because he wants it so badly because he loves Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and all of that. But also, it is a product of Amazon, mm-hmm. and you know, it is the budget. About only about half of that went to production, right? Mm-hmm. And about two hundred fifty million dollars went to securing rights to um, the indices of the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, and then that other quarter of a billion dollars has gone to marketing production integration, and marketing yeah, yeah. integration and like you know making making sure that there are ways to make money off of this thing um, through other Amazon products yeah um, which I think also informed some of the conversation because people felt a bit yucky about it um, and I think that's totally fair I I know that a lot of people said oh I'm not touching that show just because you know of its associate of how it's being made and how it's being marketed and the money that's going into it like I don't want to have anything to do with it and you know that's valid for you that's fine yeah yeah consumerism driven which you know it is what it is what isn't consumerism <laughs> but I also think you know they, they there's a lot of talk about it being um, such a uh, well-funded um, show but I think it's even more interesting that this is ultimately the most well-funded fanfic that we will ever see <laughs> because so so much of it is derived from incomplete uh ideas and stories asides yeah um in in the lore um that that tolkien built yeah um, because it's important to note that they did not get all of the rights to all of tolkien's lore yeah. there there are some aspects of the lore that had to be written around and i think they did it in a very clever way they did show. and like yeah. they introduced a lot of non-canonical characters um mm-hmm. And which, again, is another big thing for people who are deep into the world of Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they took a risk there. And, I, and I've never been one to, like, whenever you're making an adaptation from, uh, from a novel, um, from any written work to screen, mm-hmm. you've got to. I've, I've always been, like, very, 
I don't really care how closely they get it to the book necessarily, you know? Can I can I jump in and say I used to be that way mm-hmm. and then the Watchmen came out <laughs> and I like... was no longer that way? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, yes, you can make a, a frame-by-frame adaptation and make it look look like it does on the page. You can yes. make it sound like it does on the page, but if there's no, like... If there's no like passion behind it, if there's no deeper meaning behind it, I don't know. It's just not going to work. Yeah, and certain things just don't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain ways that you can tell a story, you know, verbally or written that don't make sense on screen. Um, and there are mm-hmm. certain things that you can do on screen um, that give more life to a story um, than absolutely. Be like, you know, little side glances and <laughs> smiles. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we're putting meaning into, like, the barest glances in this show. And it's really excellent because it's done in such a way that, okay, it's not canon. It's not in the canon. But it makes sense in the context of the canon. It does. And, like, also, who does it hurt? If, if you want to ship right. <laughs> a couple characters who glance at each other a couple times... Then, you know, who does it hurt ultimately? Again, we're talking about a very expensive piece of fan fiction in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, basically, uh, I mean, it it's all fiction, right? Like none of it. Yeah. That, that's another thing that um, what's interesting to me is some of the, the, um, the scuttlebutt on the internet <laughs> about um, the casting choices. Right. And uh, the, the wokeness, quote unquote, of of the casting choices. And it's like, but what are you talking about? Like, what, what history are you trying to keep true to? Right. Like- is it? <laughs> this is another thing I have a problem with, um, especially when it comes to shows we we've watched before, like Bridgerton. We've we've both heavily invested in the Bridgerton franchise. Yes. And, you know, you hear a lot a of grumblings. I did a podcast about like, it. I love it so not- much. It's not historically accurate. It's like, no, it's from a book of fiction. Yeah, it's fiction. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> it's and all that allows you some leeway. Like, none of these things are real. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> it, it, it was really the same thing, like, when, you know, they had John Boyega playing a stormtrooper. Like, yeah. who cares? Who cares? Yeah, and like, I don't care as long as they're hot, you know? Right. <laughs> and I don't even mean traditionally hot. I just, you know, I want to find them appealing as characters. Yeah, absolutely. Or compelling as characters, if exactly. not appealing. And there's exactly. definitely characters in this show that I found not necessarily appealing, but definitely compelling. And I wanted to see, you know, where I want to see where the show is going to take them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So should we get into the first episode? Let's do it. A shadow of the past. A shadow of the past. So yeah, we have our first look at the show. It is, you know, starting off just gorgeous. Um, Big. The, the I'm going to say it like the budget. I, I don't know why like detractors online were saying the show looked cheap because it looks exquisite. Yeah. It's I'm- beautiful. It's not the trilogy, you know? No. It's not. It's a show. It's... <laughs> right. Um, it looks amazing for, you know... A television show. Yeah, for the constraints of the form. It's it's great. And you can mm-hmm. tell they spent money on it and put thought into it. Yeah. 
Um, the production is gorgeous. The sets are beautiful. The cast is wonderful. Um, we have we are introduced first to Galadriel as she is a little baby, and she's played by Welsh actress. I'm gonna try to get her name right, Morthed Clark. I think that's as close as anyone can get. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I I put a little too much Ed on the end, but I'm I'm trying, and I'll get better at it. But um, she's wonderful as Galadriel, and, you know, we sort of get, she gives us over voiceover this sort of backstory about, a very loose backstory about the elves, and the Valar, and the two trees, and the yeah. and Morgoth, and the War of Wrath. It's all given yeah. to us. And we get a peek it, into Valinor, which is really, to me, was really cool. Very cool. I thought, and I mentioned this when we were watching it last night, I thought it was so clever that you know you have this beautiful sunny outdoor scene but you don't see the sun at all because they're not the the light is not coming from the sun it's coming from the trees yeah. which is such a, a it's so smart they really thought about it they did and it looks grand and it looks as ethereal as you would imagine you mm -hmm. know uh the the elvish people's uh, homelands would be yeah uh, we're first introduced, as I said, to Gladriel as a, as a young girl um, being picked on by other elves that I'm sure will one day regret that. Uh, <laughs> and her brother, her elder brother, Finrod, who in this, for the purposes of this show, I, I will admit that I'm not super knowledgeable about Gladriel's family, so I don't know if they were as close as they are on the show, but... Finrod is her big brother, who she loves, um, and we sort of get this like introduction to her world and like the how the War of Wrath and the rise of Morgoth and all of this affects like the larger world of this series. Yeah, because Galadriel is a, a, an extremely pious woman who mm -hmm. is, I mean her she's driven by like un unmet or um unfinished storylines essentially unfulfilled like, yeah un, yeah she's she's trying to fulfill um what her family what her people were unable mm -hmm. to fulfill like that's yeah. that's her entire driving force mm -hmm. um and i'm glad that they took time to explain why it was important to her instead of just you know telling yeah um, i mean we we know in this from this episode that she loses you know a brother probably many friends mm -hmm. we see sort of this pile of helmets of, you know elf armor that's been discarded on the battlefield and something that was up till that point like pretty much unheard of yeah and everything as a child everything that she knew and comforted her was taken mm -hmm. um so she she's fighting for that you know um fighting to regain some sense of justice yeah overall and as the as the series unfolds we'll see more of sort of what is driving her it's not just this loss of her brother and this hor you know seeing the results of this horrible war yeah. that sort of transformed her there's a lot more going on there but galadriel is how do i put it she's sort of when we meet her in this series when we see her as an as a grown-up 
for lack of a better word, she's like 3,000 years old yes. when we meet her. Yes. And she's... Um, she's she's almost like the terminator you know she's she got is. she is she's not nothing is going to get her off of her mission not even like the mutiny of her company like she we meet her as the commander of the northern armies yes and she's pushed them to the very edges and limits of where they're willing to go with her mm -hmm. uh, in search of you know seeking out this evil that she feels compelled to vanquish Yes, so uh, while Morgoth was defeated, and I'm going to get into Morgoth a little bit in the next episode, I want to do a bit of a lore deep dive on him, but he was defeated in the War of Wrath and sort of banished into sort of the void outside of the universe, and she's hunting down like his number one, his his chief guy in charge, his, his big evildoer guy. <laughs> Yeah. Sauron, who we all know from the series. Yes. She she feels that if she doesn't take down his right hand, mm -hmm. um, that Sauron will just take all of those resources and continue c to commit <laughs> right. <laughs> incredible and plus I'm, evil. I'm interpreting this as Sauron personally killed Finrod. Because we see yes. his mark on Finrod's body. We see yes. the mark of Sauron. So I took that to mean it was, it was, that was someone that Sauron personally killed with his own hands. Yeah. And there's some bits of dialogue that also hint towards that as well that they have mm -hmm. um, later on. Yes. Um, so this is like really when, when her brother dies, you know, this is the point where she's just had enough. <laughs> she's just had yeah. enough. She's like, Screw it. I'm going to take up my brother's sword. I'm going to take up his cause. And I'm not going to stop until I kill this Sauron guy. And she yeah, really like, commits. Like, this, this has been the worst vacation ever. And I'm, <laughs> I am going to get something out of it. I will get something out of it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she's so hardcore that her own company is like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. We you're, can't keep up. You're too much for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I'm sure we'll dive into this later on um, as well as we get into the apps, but um, she really revels in being as competent and driven as she is. Yeah. Like, that is, like, uh, she not only enjoys it, um, you can tell she enjoys being, you know, excellent She's good at it. She's good yeah. at it. Um, but it's, you know, in some ways, it's her entire identity. It's her um, purpose. It's her purpose. Yeah, and you kind of see, and I, I really, I'm glad you said that, L, because you see sort of, I hate to bring like gender politics into it, but you do see her being sort of patronized by the High King and by Elrond in this show. Like you kind of yeah. see them being like, you know, it's been cute what you've been up to in the North, but it's time to go home now <laughs> and just really not taking her as seriously as she I mean yeah I, they essentially gave her a pat on the head yeah <laughs> they were like yeah good for you you did the yeah. thing um and uh, we've uh we hear your concerns um mm -hmm. but we don't believe you <laughs> right <laughs> or we believe that you will actually cause more issues than you try to resolve right um so she's leading her we see her first leading her commander or her 
battalion into the northern waste. She's on the hunt for Sauron. And I love both the set of this Mm -hmm. fortress in the north, this just horrifying, but so fascinating and so, like, richly developed uh, set. I mean, just that set alone was, like, beautiful to me, even though it's so terrifying. Um, But we do see her (laughs) walk in, and this was such a nice detail. She finds the mark of Sauron on the anvil, on the broken anvil, which tells us... That Sauron's been up to some stuff. He's been trying to make things. Yeah, he's he's busy. He's crafting. Right. Um, you know, up in his maker space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but she's not the only elf we meet. We we do, um, you know, after her, her company is just kind of done and put their swords down, she has no choice really but to return to where the elves sort of dwell the most. High concentration of elves in this... In Middle Earth, which is the city of Lindon, Linden, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful. And it is, we meet. and yeah, um, Go ahead. just Sorry. like non, non uh, Tolkien esque um, context. Um, Linden is actually the um, that is the basis of the name Lindsay. Um, wow. Yeah, because it's <laughs> it means like the I think the, like an island of Linden trees. Um, oh wow! Like a marsh with Linden trees. Um, and Very cool. Yeah, Linden is a gorgeous place, of course, because it's elvish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's always fall. Yeah. As I said, it's perpetually autumn wherever there are elves. I mean, you look at Mirkwood, uh, Rivendell, Lothlorien. It's always autumn. There's always like yellow and browns and earth colors on the trees. It's just beautiful. They're yeah, you, all fall girls. Exactly. You bet <laughs> that they have leggings on underneath those caftans, those oh, velvet caftans, yeah. <laughs> and their Ugg boots, and they are just <laughs> loving it. PSLs. Yep. All day. <laughs> uh, we also meet a couple of the other elves that will be important to the series. We meet High King Gil Galad, who is played by Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Yes. I know, I know the actor's name, uh, Benjamin Walker, and he's a fine actor, but it was... A bit of a, a bit of a, huh? Yeah. Is that Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> uh, he's a bit of a priss, but you know, he's the high king. He's earned that. He's yeah. only pace, but he'll do. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's seen things, you know? <laughs> I mean, and not, no doubt. He's seen things and it should be said that Gil-Galad is a great warrior among the, the elves. So yeah, highly respected. Yeah, uh, and very wise in a lot of ways, although sort of a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit un, uh, a little bit uncompromising, but yeah. I, he's a king, so. Yeah, that's his purview. Uh, we also meet Elrond, who in the movies, of course, is played by Hugo Weaving, but here, um, this actor's name... Robert at this point, Arameo. Arameo. Yes, thank, thank you. <laughs> Um, he's a fine actor and I I think he actually he really this was one of the ones that I was kind of skeptical about I could see that yeah this version of Elrond but he truly grew on me in a very short amount of time I think that he has such a warmth and there there is just this feel there's a playfulness to him and a warmth that just is so 
wonderful to see and see how he sort of uses that not as a weapon but sort of as a it's a political tool in a as way. a tool yeah yeah and which is fitting because you know he is a politician essentially yeah uh, he's like young baby politician Elrond. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, he's, he's all heart. He's yeah. like, he is, um, uh, a lot of times the heart of the show. I, I feel like he is the best intentioned character of all of these characters. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I, I think that he, you know, a lot of, um, Tolkien's work is about friendship. Like it, that mm-hmm. is the center of the story is yeah. people's friendship with each other, Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond people, you know, um, just. I mean, because- the friendship between like in, in the Lord of the Rings, the friendship between uh, Legolas and Gimli is yes. huge. I mean, Sam and Frodo, these are like two. I mean, it's a big part of the story. and It's a big part of what makes these characters, what makes us so fond of them and so mm-hmm. relatable. Because, yeah, it's, it's a. A large part of the success, I think, of yeah, um, of all the series that he wrote, um, mm-hmm. and also anything that's been adapted, is that that focus on what people mean to each other, um, mm-hmm. and like you know, kindness and grace within friendship. Yes, like, it, those are evergreen. That's a, evergreen. That's really, and those are really the things that are worth fighting for. Oh yeah, thousand percent. Yeah. Um, but here, Elrond is still. A bit of a second-class citizen. He is yep. still half-human. His I don't know if you know this, Lindsay, but Elrond's brother was the first king of Numenor. He chose to be human, oh. and Elrond chose to be an elf. They were half, you know, half, or live as a human and live as an elf. Okay. They're both always going to be half-elf, um, but they are... Uh, they, they chose to go their separate ways, and one lived as human and founded Numenor, and the other... Became Elrond of Rivendell, and it's just interesting. Very that cool. Is. So, like, technically, technically, Aragorn and Arwen are related, but but like, they're like three thousand years separate. So I think it's fine. And I feel like I, I feel like in in this world where like people live thousands and thousands of years, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I keep saying people; they're not people, but. Um, <laughs> beings live for such long m- amounts of time and their you know family trees go on forever um i feel like lines of sanguinity are a little bit different in mm-hmm. fantasy <laughs> yeah i, I don't think you can play around a bit to include this in any house of dragon discussion because, <laughs> no, like, no I, like that. I hate to tell you this <laughs> i hate to tell you this culture mm-hmm. writer but incest is not hot and we are no. not down for it at all no. I mean, um, it's luck- yeah. Luckily, there's none of that here. Yeah, uh, it, Tolkien does not trade right. <laughs> in uh, in incest, um, in in the horniness of incest. I guess uh, no. whatever that is. <laughs> um, and that's all I'm gonna say about that. So, yeah. So we have uh, Elrond, and he's obviously very close with Galadriel. They are best friends. And right away, I was like, what is the vibe here? Because she is going to be his mother-in-law one day. And that will be weird. That's kind, it is kind of weird. Um, but but I, honestly, I think it's this actress. I think that she has such dynamic chemistry with every oh yeah, she's actor like on in fire. the series. 
that it's like, oh, I ship them. Oh, I ship them. Yeah, no, that <laughs> oh, can I work. I can see it. Yeah, that can work for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I do think I, I, I got more of like a um, uh, like a friend and equal kind of vibe between mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. Not that they are equals, really, um, but that they seem like they came up together and have known yeah. each other um, and like know the hearts of each other you know and have been through some stuff together yes yeah like, Which, like you got instantly got the feeling that they cared very deeply for each other for a very long time mm-hmm. and i would love to see some of that maybe some of their friendship told in flashback i would love to see that oh that'd be great in future seasons because the show has been renewed and will we will have five seasons which i think is the perfect amount of seasons for any series it does not need to be longer than five seasons i know that's a controversial take but (laughs) no i think five seasons is great i watched 15 years 15 seasons of supernatural and it broke you that's understandable (laughs) it's like i can't do that again i saw um there was a uh i didn't watch it but a youtube uh, video suggested to me that was like a commentary video that Mm -hmm. and the title was like um uh, Supernatural is a really weird show. And I'm like, yeah, it fucking, <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was a really weird show. Very weird. Several years ago. It's been off the air for a while. I know. Someone found it and realized that it was very weird. <laughs> but, um, and I was like, did you oh, really I, watch 15 seasons of this thing? But I did. Uh, yeah. But I do want to add a caveat. There is one show I think could have a million seasons and I would not complain and that's what we do in the shadows. I know. They keep it's nothing that, but hits with them. It keeps getting better somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so that that aside, uh we're gonna kinda get away from Lyndon for a, a few minutes and talk about one of our other elves who is the main character in this show, Everon yes. Deer. And um real quick, um before yeah. we dig into that, um I I also think it's very interesting, again, like thinking about um, Rings of Power as a product, right? Uh, an Amazon mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. They they created this like it was it was renewed. It was successful enough to be renewed, but they mm-hmm. created this first season with the intention that this would set off a, a five season arc. Mm-hmm. So it, I I think that they did a lot of things in the first season then that are intentionally um, there to set the stage for things that happen mm. later on. Um, I agree, and I can't wait to see how that works out. I hope it works out the way intended because, you know, you never yeah. know with the, um, these kinds of it's things. very much has the energy of Dennis Villeneuve, like, making Dune Part 1, even yeah. though Dune Part 2 had not been greenlit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm taking, I'm rolling the dice. You know, we're going to do the legwork anyway, and uh, yeah. hopefully it pans out. <laughs> yeah, and it did. So yeah. that's excellent. Um, yeah, so here we're introduced to one of our other faves, Aaron Deere. He is... Um, my husband who is a tolkien lore hound gets kind of pissy when i call him a sylvan elf but there's nothing in this that says he is not a sylvan elf that's what i mean i I am you know i came into this um probably with the least knowledge right of the world Mm. um because i had always you know i i'd taken in um all the the tolkien work um Mm -hmm. as just popular culture right as a fan of popular sure. culture and i had watched all of the movies watched previous hobbit movies and all of that um mm-hmm. as a kid even um just because it yeah the the right yeah yeah and um 
And so I'm not tied to, you know, the, the lore necessarily, even though now mm -hmm. Rings of Power have, have really made me extremely interested in diving into it yeah. more. And especially because uh, this year specifically, I've finally kind of been able to get into fantasy in a way that I wasn't before. Um, oh, well, welcome. Yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it, it always, I always felt like it was too much, you know? There's too much mm -hmm. world building. Um, and, like, it would just go over my head. And I'm like, I don't care yeah. about these people, what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but finally, you know, I've been able to get into it. And I will say Rings of Power, for me at least, um, it's kind of a bridge into um, the world of Tolkien. I'm very interested and very excited to dig into the lore a bit more. And there's um, so much of it. <laughs> I know. There's, there's so like, much. Every time you tell me something or your husband, like, you know, um, provides a piece of information, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and what? I will tell you that most of my Tolkien lore knowledge comes from just hearing it from him. So I've learned most of this stuff by osmosis. Um, <laughs> like I was, was to, I the, to the point when we were discussing it. Uh, a few weeks ago when we were watching the show yeah it, we my husband had to break out his copy of the silmarillion <laughs> to look something up <laughs> oh yeah that what um gandalf was a vampire <laughs> oh no it was sauron was sauron a sauron was a vampire yeah. and i i was it, reading something um and obviously this is uh me googling <laughs> versus <laughs> you know people actually reading the 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 source text um, but when I was learning more about Valinor, because um, I was mm -hmm. very interested in that, uh, I didn't realize that the the lights um, in Valinor were apparently um, dimmed or put out by um, those demon, not maybe not demon, but like god spiders, um, mm -hmm. primordial spiders or whatever they are. Um, yeah. And one of them was like the predecessor of Shalab. Um, yes. Uh, they are called the, hang on, I have a, actually I have an illustration ooh. up right now. <laughs> you just happened to, to mention it. it. They're the Ungoliant. Ungoliants. Okay. Yeah. Which is why um, the path, you know, in, the tunnel is called the path of Kiris Ungol. Ah, that makes sense now. Yeah. Um, but again, rich history, rich world building by mm -hmm. Tolkien. It's it's very good. Um, and it, it, it makes, you know, diving deeper into these things because there's so many like little Easter eggs um, that you realize exist. Right. <laughs> as you dive I, in deeper. fact, I believe one of the Easter eggs and, and listeners can correct me on this if I'm wrong um, or don't. That's fine. <laughs> Just let me believe this. But I believe in one of the earlier scenes when we see... Um, Galadriel and Elrond in in Linden, and she's looking at Finrod's. Uh, there, there's like a carving of him, and they've been like carved into these living trees. Uh, I believe one of the two of the figures that we see are Baron and Luthien, which are like these huge mythological like love story figures in the Tolkien lore, and their story is very interesting too. So. <laughs> there's so much lore it's daunting <laughs> it is it's like... it's it's like overwhelming which was always a thing with fantasy for me it's like yeah. it's it's so much um... even just looking at the the one ring wiki that i was looking at there's so yes. many links <laughs> so many links <laughs> it's just it... just um to show you like how how much of like a baby i am in the world of you know i i am just a very um I'm like a, a zealous new convert. <laughs> uh, Taylor um, Swift would call you a sexy baby. 
I am a sexy baby. And in preparation for this, um, for doing this podcast, I was like, and diving deeper into things, um, I actually got my first uh, um, kind of uh, Tolkien, the guidebook, and it was a um, a glossary of terms, um, a dictionary (laughs) to Tolkien's world. I love Um, that. So, I think that's perfect. And it's been, yeah, it's been very helpful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm very excited by all of this. Um, yeah. Kind of, it, it's weird how all this stuff does tie in together, which again, very good world building on uh, Tolkien's part. Oh yeah. Wonder, I mean, Tolkien was a master world builder. There's no doubt about that. And I think he knew, like thinking of, like for me, I was thinking like, okay, these these indices are really interesting. Because I, cause I mm-hmm. um I love, just personally, uh, nothing gets to me like a good index. (laughs) I love a good index. Um, Are you a fan of footnotes? I am. (laughs) I love them. Um, And especially when they're done well. Um, And I think, I feel like what he does better than, you know, um, uh, the majority of fantasy writers out there, no offense. Um, But he knows what is important to tell. Like, cause the indices mm-hmm. are all the world building that he did. Like he built mm-hmm. all the stuff. Um, and then he's like, well, what's actually the interesting story <laughs> that, yeah. that can kind of um, have this stuff as background. And um, honestly, I think the only one that comes close, I and granted, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the most well-read, but yeah. it's fitting for this, for this show and this feed because Frank Herbert, and Dune is quite similar. There's a huge yeah. amount of world building yes. that went yeah. into this, but you really only see like pieces of that in the text itself. The exactly. rest of it is all in appendices and it Dune exists. Encyclopedia. Yeah. It's there for anyone yeah. that wants to to read it. And some of it's yeah. actually nuts. But <laughs> believe it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and it's but at the same time, it's the story is good because the story is good. Yes. Um, and good is, you know, that is a. Uh, it's you relative. Can, you apply that however you want. Yeah. <laughs> it, compelling, interesting, right. whatever. If it holds your interest to me, that's good. But let's circle back to Aaron Deere. Um, the Sylvan and his, Elf. <laughs> yes, the, the beautiful. Oh my gosh. Sylvan Elf. Yeah. Um, cheekbones for days. Aaron Deere, um, I appreciate him. I think he is one of the better characters an original character for yep, the show canonical right um but necessary yeah i think that he actually sees things i love the way that he sees the world he yes. tries to see the best in everything and when he sees like the worst parts of everything it, it sort of breaks his heart and you see that yes yeah um but he's fiercely protective of the things that he loves, and what one of which is the next character I want to talk about, which is Bronwyn. These yes. are all original characters. These are all non-canonical. Um, Bronwyn is a healer in a village in the Southlands, which is where Arendir is sort of stationed. He's been there about 80 years. Uh, they are on the Watchtower. They sort of watch for signs because there's always been you know Sauron was never found and there's always been like talk that one day Morgoth would return and you know they're just there they're basically cops yeah and there's I hate to say it but there's the tension they yeah (laughs) they they are the cops and the people treat them as such like there is a lot of people who are like you know a cab um yeah 
Um, it, it's just, it, it's interesting because he, he is there in a protective role. Um, mm-hmm. But humans do not uh, appreciate or even no. necessarily want the protection of elves, even if it's mm-hmm. maybe necessary. Yeah. I mean, because honestly, elves have to share this Middle Earth with people. Yeah. And, and they're you know, immigrants. <laughs> right. <laughs> like they, this is not their land. Middle Earth is not their land. Right. Um, so they're seen in that way. They're treated by a lot of people um, on Middle Earth as these, you know, um, they are these foreigners that came in and, you know, mm-hmm. told us what to do. How dare they? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you did point out when we were watching this that this is a village that does not believe in undershirts. Yes, yes. <laughs> As we are introduced to Waldreg, who is the owner of the tavern, he does not wear a shirt <laughs> until no, later it. in the show, um, much as we want him to. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of this these interactions with Arendir and Bronwyn that give us um, sort of a, a look into what is how things are starting to sort of fall apart in middle earth you yes. see um people talking about wells running dry and grass being poisoned and um, animals this... becoming emaciated and getting sick you know yeah um <laughs> this poor cow and her <laughs> black milk it was disgusting very gross <laughs> just <laughs> but this is what this is sort of the impetus that yeah, the people are struggling. Aaron Deere needs, yeah, to sort of investigate further. He hears rumors of, you know, this farmer comes around with his cow to see if Bronwyn can heal it. And he tells him where the cow was grazing. And Aaron Deere's like, okay, I'm going to take off and check this out. And this is sort of the impetus for uh, how things progress from here. Um, yes. And Bronwyn and Aaron Deere, we, um, we explore... Familiar, ter- familiar territory um, mm-hmm. for Tolkien, which is elven human love. Yeah, um, the longing, the, the longing, long, so much longing. Um, oh, the long glances, and I love how you know everybody in the village can tell you talk to her for more than two minutes. You guys looked each other in the eyes. You want mm-hmm. her. We know. <laughs> she um, gives you flower seeds. Yes, and <laughs> you know it's. It's interesting that, you know, they they explored a lot. And this is, we're in, this takes place in the Second Age of Men, right? Right? Or yes, is this, this is during the Second Age. So, you know, thousands of years before the Fellowship um, mm-hmm. story occurs. And even in this time, it seems that the conversation, um, at least from the Elvish point of view, is the same. And it's not necessarily that they don't believe in, uh, like, interspecial love <laughs> um they seem to they're, they're okay i think with that they don't mind mm-hmm. it um they're not you know necessarily uh specious in that way right. but it always seems to come with the warning that they all know they're like hey we live a very long time guy you know yeah <laughs> or lady um <laughs> like you we live a very long time and this this uh human or whomever you love like it, it's doomed because of how short their life will be. That's usually what I my takeaway from these yeah. conversations around elvish human love. Yeah, um, unless that human is given permission to live in the Undying Lands, which I don't see happening. But maybe I yeah. don't know. Um, 
yeah, it, it's sort of doomed from the beginning, but sort of sweet, all the sweeter for it because, yep, I mean, precious. really, you're faced with an eternity uh, or, you know, a very, 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 very long life. You could become a complete psycho oh. <laughs> faced with that much time on your hands. And the fact that he has chosen to, you know, or the fact that he has fallen in love, that he has taken his, that despite these, like, this gulf between yes. them, this gulf of time. And I find that very touching. And I think it's because you're getting into like what when you're talking about like elf life timelines, mm -hmm. you're getting mm -hmm. into like vampire lo logic territory, right? Yeah. Or you're <laughs> exactly. alive so long that, you know, you go through these cycles, you become despondent, things stop Look, mattering. <laughs> I don't know who's seen Castlevania, but they <laughs> Dracula and Lisa were working things out for a while there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's basically the same thing where it's like, you know, um, what do you do when, you know, you have these feelings? Um, right. And, you know, me shouting at the screen, follow your feelings, <laughs> please, for me. I want to see it. <laughs> mash faces, mash faces. Just kiss already. <laughs> but he literally says, I have, she says, you know, why don't you just tell me what you're thinking? And yeah. he says, I have told you in a hundred ways without words how I feel about you. And it's just like, oh, but could you say it? I know. It would be nice if you could say when it. When he said that, I'm like, but can you say it with words, though, please, for me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I pretend that I'm a dummy and yeah. I need this, like, in bold. Yeah, and me personally, like, I, I need things, like, spelled out, Frank. Just, I need mm -hmm. to know. I can't be guessing at sub subtleties. That's not my game. Um, so I was with her. I was like, no, Bronwyn, you're correct. He needs yeah. to say it. Um, yeah. But it's very sweet that he's like, I've been showing you. I've been showing you. Yeah. Um, like, you have to know how I feel about you. Yeah. He's okay. like, I, I, don't, I don't look any other being in the eyes. You should know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, like, Aaron Deere and Bronwyn one of my favorite aspects of this show and completely original so i mean Complete. detractors i'm yep. sorry but i enjoyed it i enjoyed it again fanfic <laughs> this, is, this yeah. is this is the joy this is part of the joy of fanfic is it does not have to be um mm -hmm. the the original in fact you know it, it all it needs to be is slight, slightly based on the original right um for it to be enjoyable and that's exactly. kind of what we're dealing with we're dealing with a tolkien uh skinned world <laughs> and uh, the what they're doing here is they're introducing new non-canonical characters and it's not for everybody it's not mm -hmm. um if you're a purist you're not gonna enjoy it yeah um, and that's fine um enjoy your books I guess. Uh, <laughs> but but this is it's But I'm it's here fun. for the long looks. I'm here for the long yeah. I'm here for the journey. It's um, what the and people speaking want. Of love de delightful things. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the other people that were the other beings that we meet in this first episode. Yes. The Harfoots, which are <sighs> sort of proto hobbits they're not hobbits yet but yeah. this is where the hobbits come from that was another thing where i started researching because i at first i thought harfoots was like the surname and mm -mm. when i started looking into them like oh the hobbits don't exist yet mm -hmm. <laughs> these are like you know uh part of the soup that ends up making hobbits in the end yeah <laughs> which is a gross way to say it, but... <laughs> an interesting 
way of putting it, but I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but in particular, we have uh, a few things I want to touch on about the Harfoot. So mm-hmm. they, they're they travelers. No matter. They migrate yeah. from place to place. They are brilliant with camouflage. Oh, my God. Um, the best. And their, their sense of community is so strong and beautiful that, I mean, they're when they say their motto, which is yes. nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone, oh. like it, I'm getting like misty. Same. I just, just got thinking chills. Of it because it's such a beautiful, chills. it's such a beautiful concept, you know, like we are a community. We look out for each other. Yeah. Because they're so little and they, they need, <laughs> they need their numbers and they, they know. need, they need each other for survival. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's very lovely to see, um, such a like loving community of people yeah. or beings harfoots <laughs> i mean they're very cautious of things that are not harfoots um yes, they have not, to be not yeah they're not there for <laughs> to mix with the tall people or <laughs> elves yeah. or any of that they just want to be left alone to their go migrations from place to are place. completely yes. planned by the harfoots that came before them Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, you know, a Sadduck has his big old book. Um, yeah. And, and it's important because you get to see, like, why they why they migrate, where they migrate. So, like, we yes. go here in the winter because, you know, the food is plentiful and it's not, the weather is not as bad. We go here in the spring because that pl- that place floods in the spring. And, mm-hmm. you know, is it, it's a pattern that they have really learned over the course of, I don't know how many years. But yeah. this is just their culture this is who they are it is and it'd be interesting i didn't i did not get into like how long their lifespans are i imagine Mm -mm. much shorter probably more like humans maybe a little bit longer than that i think they're probably they live to be longer than humans but maybe not super not a a ton longer um and of course you know this the harfoots are the ones the only ones besides men that face as much danger yeah. as humans do. Um, you know, and they are vulnerable. A, yeah. Um, there's a scene actually later in the series where they read out the names of, they call them those left behind. Uh, those that couldn't follow them. Those that basically died yes. along the way. Um, and it's very touching. It's very sad. And it's, it's lovely that they do this to remember because they don't have a place that they can visit. They don't have a memorial they can go yeah. to they don't have a grave they contend they just have this way of passing it along to the and next it's, generation it's interesting to their obsession with um being alone or being left behind mm-hmm. um, and it's such a great fear that's instilled in them because mm-hmm. community is their safety and their protection um which is a great backdrop for nori who mm. has a very adventurous and curious spirit um, that is not common to the Harfoots. Um, right. She is very curious about the world around her and what's beyond what they know, mm-hmm. uh, which is terrifying for her community. Yeah. And I don't want to say this, make this sound the way it's going to sound, but mm-hmm. she's she has a, a cleverness that yes. a lot of the other Harfoots just listen they're simple people okay yeah simple likes simple wants nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with that um and and they don't need more than that 
Mm. Uh, but she, yeah, I think I, I agree that she has a cleverness that's beyond. Um, and I think they know. I think they know her mm. mind is is a little bit different than their yeah. own. She's kind of a handful. <laughs> she is. Um, and Nori has her best friend, Poppy, which is another one of the best relationships in this show is yeah. Nori and Poppy. Their get, friendship. Get you a best friend like Poppy. I mean, it's it was so heartwarming and so beautiful. And I love them so much. I love Poppy. She's she's so loyal. She's so outspoken. She speaks Queen. her mind. She's protective. She's funny. Just everything that you want in a best friend. I want Poppy to be my best friend. Yeah, like I, I, I think my favorite aspect about her that it, we see early on, um, we see even in this first episode with a stranger that they start dealing with, is that even when she doesn't, agree with uh with nori even when Mm -hmm. she's mad at nori for the choices nori uh decides to make Mm -hmm. um by herself uh she is still supportive of nori like she is still a hundred she's a ride or die yeah she will she is a hundred percent with you and will help even if she is complaining and telling you it's a (laughs) terrible idea and asking why are you doing this to us (laughs) um She's she's still gonna be there to support, and she is a Harfoot, so she's not gonna leave a fellow Harfoot alone on the trail. No, exactly. She she believes in the Harfoot mission statement. Yes, and she, <laughs> you know, as much as Nori is a caretaker, and she gets chided a little bit for you know trying to take care of things that she shouldn't try to take care of, like right. a a giant stranger, uh, a right. giant mostly naked stranger. Who um, fell out of the sky. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'm like, I'm team Poppy there. I'm like, you really shouldn't. You don't know anything about this weirdo. Um, and he's She's gigantic. Nori's conscience. She's her voice of reason. She She's is. her, you know, stop and think about this, please. Yes. Um, yeah, before let's... Put down the scissors before you cut your bangs. That's all yeah. I'm saying. She's yep. that friend. She is. She is. <laughs> Nori um, needs a friend like that desperately. Yeah. Um, and Poppy is amazing because as much as Nori does have that drive to take care of people, Poppy takes care of everybody. You can tell and she is like a mother yeah. in a way of yeah. the, the community, even even though she's so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do get very strong like mother vibes from, from Poppy. And I think part of that is because her own family was, we learned later, was left behind. Like yeah. she lost her whole family. So she's basically on her own. And I mean, Nori is her family. The these other Harfoots are her family now. Yes. Yeah. She definitely um, you can you get those vibes straight away. Yeah. Um, they do a very good job at communicating, you know, their roles mm-hmm. with each other and in their community. Mm-hmm. Uh so speaking of the stranger, I guess it's time to talk about his arrival. Um this happens, we sort of get a montage of where all the other characters are in this moment. Um, as you see this sort of something falling from the sky, you know, looks like an asteroid. Mm-hmm. Something's just hurtling towards Middle Earth. Um, yeah. Big ball of fire. Um, Galadriel is on the ship bound for Valinor, which was her reward Yes. Uh, I'm using air quotes. Reward. I know. Same. I, I have for all about her Valinor. Yeah. 
Um, yes, Galadriel's company, we didn't mention it earlier, was granted this rare honor by the High King to return to the Undying Lands. To get the and... fuck out of here. <laughs> yes, and Galadriel is not down. She's not no. finished. Her she... mission is not fulfilled. She can feel in her bones that this is wrong, you know? Right. Um, and it, I, I, we talked about it a little bit when we were watching um, the episodes last night, but mm-hmm. I... You know, I, I've been reading a lot um, of mythology over the past couple of years. I've really dived into mm. mythology. Um, yeah. And I, and I love it, obviously. Oh, there's I read so a lot much of it. of it. And there's so mm-hmm. much. But yeah. in um, in watching The Rings of Power, um, with all of that in my mind in the background, um, I kept thinking of, you know, how I can, I can see Tolkien's appreciation of mythology um mm-hmm. in, in oh, the yeah. way these story arcs work because especially for Galadriel um and Halbrun later on mm-hmm. it's so much about fate um yes that she is she is fated to live this life um which is easy to say like of course it's written of course of course this was decided <laughs> for her but but the way it's communicated in the story is that even you know even if the, the people in her community were, were seeing like, oh no, this, her being around isn't good. We're going to try to make a way for her to not be here to prevent mm-hmm. her doing something we think she's going to do. Even yeah. their efforts to try to prevent this thing aren't enough because fate is, uh, yeah. is a stronger force. Yeah, it's it's the whole Oedipus thing where you mm-hmm. try to circumvent your fate yep. and only cause it to happen. Exactly. Um, that, that is the thing that causes it. <laughs> yeah. Because it is. Um, it's why she ends up in the water. <laughs> exactly. But we see her on the boat. And I have to say, this scene is gorgeous. The music, oh, yeah. stunning. Bear McCreary did the all the score for this. It, it's so beautiful. The music, the light, everything is just, uh It's glorious. I love it. Yes. So I am curious. I'm like, but the lights went out in Valinor. Where's, where's all this well, light coming from? So there is now a sun and a moon. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, the light, the light of the the two trees became eventually the the sun and the moon. Um. So there's that. <laughs> they do have sun there. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. It's not the same. But by the know, way, I am do. I am now um, thinking of um, the the lights went out in Georgia the night the lights went out in Georgia, <laughs> but like uh, with Valinor. The night time. the day the lights went out in Valinor. <laughs> yeah, would be a good ass song. <laughs> we need yes. a bard to sing it. Reba. Yeah. Um, Rebard. Yes. Um. <laughs> but as we as she is on this, we see this sort of comet streaking across the sky. We get like glimpses of Elrond seeing it we see the Harfoot seeing it um we get a yeah blink, everybody come, blink like, and you'll miss it glimpse of an ent <laughs> and an ent wife I need to watch it again it I missed it streak across the sky I think I can find it on YouTube I'll send it to you um but I I did like this as a, a like a connecting force like it worked really mm-hmm. well as like oh everybody in this story experienced this thing differently mm-hmm. but they all experienced seeing this thing in the sky um so it is a a connecting force in a way yeah and we'll get into it more in the next episode but you know it lands very close to the harfoot camp and it seems again that that is you know a part of a a thing that was fated to happen 
Yes, and it's a nice, um, it, it is a, a really lovely um, way to explain um, the connection that the mm -hmm. stranger ha like continues to have um, with this people, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so yeah. The, the, the comet is a person. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a man, a very long, lanky, long, <laughs> tall man, dirty, naked, mostly yeah. dirty, still pretty sexy, still hot for some reason, <laughs> still um, hot, very much. Um, you know, he he got um, lost uh, at Burning Man on the way yeah. to a rave, <laughs> and he he's still off. He's still off his face, and he's just like feeling the earth. And yeah. like, you know, he, he does not know what's going on at all. No. <laughs> and in fact, he's not even really conscious. We just see a glimpse of him sort of fetal position in the right. middle of this crater that he's created with his arrival to Middle Earth. So yeah. dramatic entrance check. Yeah, extremely dramatic. <laughs> and can I mean, we, can we, this um... is a RuPaul entrance. Oh, very much. Um, <laughs> Like, everybody turned their head and said, who right. is this? <laughs> like, yeah, the, the the sky was his catwalk um, that <laughs> night. I... Yes. Well, and can we can we talk? We've, we've talked a little bit about this um, mm -hmm. prior to recording, but um, the camouflage of the Harfoots oh. is such an incredible detail. It's so wonderfully done. They're geniuses at it. And it's like not just camouflage that, you know, it's not like the camouflage you think of that where, you know, you paint your face and yeah. there's some of that. But like they use like the natural world around them as both decoration and disguise. Yeah. And they act as both all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing. And it's an amazing way to tell a story about what the land is like. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, because you, know, you see, you see it change. Yeah. They change their camouflage as their environment changes. Yes, it's like constantly changing with where where they're at, where they're moving, mm -hmm. um, and it is in tune, completely in tune with nature, so that mm -hmm. you you can't see them. They can hide themselves completely because they have found a way to be one with nature in that way. Yeah, um, and I, I love it because the the headdress uh, they were really like again. <laughs> talking about this as a product yeah basis was like i i heard these bitches were you know into cottage core let's uh <laughs> well, let's, yeah. let's make some cottage core let's make some little cute little twig headbands some, some little acorn acorns. um head yeah. pieces uh <laughs> it yeah. is really cute it's very cute but it's purposeful like it's it's not yeah. just decoration um, it's it's not just there to you know as a it's it's not just a, a throwaway piece and it's There's also nothing nothing in the show i think is throwaway no. everything is very intentional and it's it's also not just you know functional decorative um mm -hmm. but it's also architectural it's like part of mm -hmm. um the way that they build the things that they have yeah. um it, it is all of it is thought about in terms of like how how do we eventually hide this thing because we're gonna have mm -hmm. to hide this thing at some point yeah um which is it makes it very lush to look at and to take in yeah um but that is one of the the last scenes of this episode um the very last scene is galadriel deciding basically <laughs> noping <to, laughs> nope i you know 
I think you know Valinor is pretty much a one-way trip. You it's, can only go the once. It um, feels like that because it almost feels like a death. Like they treat it mm-hmm. almost like going to the other side. Yeah, you know, I mean passing you're passing over. through a veil, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, at least from the Middle Earth perspective, Valinor has always seemed like, even in Lord of the Rings, it feels like they are choosing to to go live in heaven, more or less. Yeah. Basically, and that's pretty much what it is. Um, but she's she's not having it, and no, this, she can this, feel it in her gut. It's not right. This elf jumps off the boat. Yeah, she was like, "Listen to a man, me? I don't know. I right. don't think so." <laughs> and that's why she's our hero. No, she jumps off this boat and now has to swim. <laughs> swim back to middle yeah. earth like i'll take my chances in the sea <laughs> yeah rather than I go mean, live in heaven i don't forever. know if you saw the map at the beginning but the sundering sea it's not small yeah it doesn't it doesn't look like a, a swimmable it's not like the the english channel you know mm-hmm. where if if you build up to it you can you can maybe swim across it yeah. um but yeah it, it seems pretty vast like she's I don't know what she's expecting. Obviously, I and I think I don't think it was a completely rational choice um, because I don't think she could if she would have thought about it even for a second. You know, the the survivability rate of jumping into that sea is even for her the baddest of the bad is minimal. But yeah, I think it was a completely emotional. Um, but that's how how important this is to her. That's yes. how much. That's how invested she is in seeing and, this done. Yeah, and in talking about it before getting on the ship and being told, like, hey, you're going to receive this great honor, um, <laughs> which is a, you know, a very um, uh, diplomatic way of saying, hey, we would like you to not be here anymore. Yeah, um, we're early retirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah th- this is, um, uh, we got to lay off some elves here. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great honor that you will no longer be working with us. I um, uh, hope you cashed in your 401k. Yeah. Um, when, you know, when she was talking with, uh, I believe, Elrond about it and explaining mm-hmm. her point of view that, you know, going to Valinor will not be this great reward and, you know, rest that you guys are making it out to be because right. there's so much unfinished business here that that will live with me there. Right. Always. And I love, I loved that sentiment that good. she's like, I can't take this trauma into yes. the undying land because then it will itself be undying. Yeah. And like, Elrond's oh. like, no, you'll feel better. I think <laughs> yeah. you'll feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, you're not listening to me. <laughs> it's yeah, just the like, way that she says the word conflicted. Yeah, it's yeah. just so good. Yeah. I, um, I I think she very much is like, you know, Valinor is great, does not have uh, therapy, though. And I need either <laughs> therapy or to get this thing done. That- done. <laughs> and if you think about it, I mean, and then this makes, you know, this, this, decision this sacrifice because she there's she knows when she jumps off there's a chance she will never be allowed back into Valinor she'll never see her yeah, home again like she's giving up the the chance to you know um come home again yeah like you said and um and be that you know return back to um I'm sure in a lot of elves minds turn come back to where they were you know um mm-hmm. as a child 
you know, before yeah. all these hardships. Um, yeah. And she knows. She knows she can't, they, she won't be able to let go of what mm-hmm. she experienced because it's there's a lot of unfinished business. Yeah. Which makes her, you know, which makes the ending of Return of the King so mm-hmm. much sweeter mm-hmm. because you do see her yes. getting on the she, boat. She and finally, like her, her, her duty is done. She finally did it. And she yeah. knew it was time. Um, yeah, that, that made it so much more beautiful knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, she waited all that time. She put in all that work and effort to make sure to see something that she knew she had to complete done. Yeah. So, uh, great first episode, great start. And yeah. we're going to be back soon to talk about the second episode. In the meantime, I think we should choose a thirst trap of this episode. Oh, yes. And then I have a, a little game for you. I did come up with something. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my my game is mm-hmm. choose your thirst trap. And okay. here we go. Um, Aaron Deer, but his hand is still covered in that black cow goo. Oh, gross. <laughs> Col- Commander Galadriel, but she makes you march through the frozen waste and climb mm. mountains. Uh, or Bronwyn, but she has this very annoying teen son. Oh, God. That's rough. <laughs> Um, yeah. And Arendir can't, like, wash his hand or anything? Like, what's, what's the deal? No, no you have just... to take them as they are. Okay. He's just always going to have that gross black goo. cow goo on his hand. Yeah. <sighs> I, if we're talking about, like, you know, first and early ep, Theo, I can't deal with mm. him. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't deal with a teen with a badass attitude. I don't have time. Yeah. Patience. Um. Theo is the worst at at first. He definitely yeah. grows on you, but he gets better. But in the, these first couple ups, I'm like, nah. Um, nah. Too, I was like, Aaron Deer is better than me. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't think Bronwyn because of that reason. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm having a very hard time here. I do think I, I, I'm, I'm gonna say Galadriel. As much as I don't like exercising. Um, <laughs> That was going to be my answer is like, yeah. I don't like exercising. I would enough, be in the so best I'll, shape I'll of my deal life. With, I'll deal with the cow goo. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I would be in the best shape of my life as much as I would hate it. One. And also she's really fucking hot as a leader. Oh my as God. As a commander. She is, I would follow her in the, anything. I mean, you see her get to do some sword fighting earlier in the episode. She kills a snow or, or snow troll. Yes. And. The way she just sort of uh, runs up a sword, yeah, is just amazing. I mean, she's completely badass, and I I love her very much. Yeah, her, um, her competency is like it's amazing to behold. But it's a true testament to how much I hate exercise that I'm gonna <laughs> go with Aaron Deer, but his hair is his hand is covered in black. Cow I just goo. could not do that black algo. I'm sorry. It's very gross. <laughs> I just don't want it on me. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> even though he's it's very hot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's okay. your game? I'm, I'm so here for it. My game, um, as with all games and all um, uh, good fantasy, takes a little bit of explanation. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, for those who listen to the Dune podcast um, mm-hmm. and um, all the other associated uh, mini works within um, your, <laughs> your little multiverse. Um, yes. You're, fam- you're familiar with the um, fuck Mary kill game. Oh yes. Um, and so I've I've done a little twist on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
we are going to do Pluck Fellowship Sagin Tarag. And uh, the Pluck is the person who you would pluck out of the ocean and onto your janky raft. Okay. The Fellowship is the person you would join on a quest for an indeterminate amount of time. Okay. And the Sagin Tarag is the person you would challenge to a rock-breaking contest to work out <laughs> some deep feelings. <laughs> okay. And we are doing a uh, we are doing a non-canonical edition this time. Okay. Um. So it's uh, Waldreg, the mm-hmm. Hordum oh. Innkeep community le- uh, leader uh. and premier shirtless fishmonger. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, God. Aaron Deer, the Hawkeye of Sylvan Elves, and uh, Sadik Burroughs, Harfoot map reader to the stars. Okay. Pluck. Okay, I'm going to say Waldreg for Pluck. Wow. Because I can push him over the <laughs> you I can push a, him off the raft. You put him on the raft, and then you push him off it whenever you feel right. necessary. Um, he would not be a, a great companion. No. Um, Sadik Burroughs is going to be my fellowship. Yeah. He's great. Because even though he's kind of cranky and eccentric, I still, I I love, you know, he's dedicated to his books. He knows the I trails. Love. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Sadik. And then the last one, uh, and so that leaves, uh, who's left? Aradir. Yeah. To for, work out my aggression with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to have a rock-breaking contest. With. I mean, he's going to win, but... Yeah. You the plus side is you get to see that flex, you know. Oh yeah, he'd take his armor off at least to, yeah. to be able to compete. Yeah, <laughs> yes. same. Um, I love I, it. Yeah, um, I I think I'm about the same. I think I'm I'm the same. I think Sadik Burroughs would be like I think he would be an amazing companion for. Oh, West, absolutely. Because um, he's knowledgeable. Um, he's a cranky old man, which I like, mm-hmm. and um, he is—he's fun. I think you know he's a—he's a Harfoot, and so he's just a very sweet-natured, you know, mm-hmm. um, being by nature. Um, not trustworthy, not trusting, but trustworthy. No, I feel like I—I I, I would spend a lot of time getting him to trust me. Like it would take mm-hmm. a lot—a long time to get him to yeah. feel comfortable around me because he would distrust me for not being, uh, you know. Um, one of his kind right um and yeah Aaron Deere I just want to see him um break stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> break me Aaron Deere <laughs> right in half <laughs> just wash your hands first <laughs> I mean we really have not gotten into the truly thirsty portions oh, no. of this show but trust me it's coming it, it, yeah, the, the next episode actually gotten horny yet there's, there's no. very little horniness about this. This show. really, this really was just an introduction into the show and into the world and and to most of the characters. There's still a lot of characters that we're gonna meet in episodes two and three, and um, I think even another character that comes in in episode four. So we'll see how that goes. But eh. so until next time, don't go off the trail and don't walk alone. Thank you. Goodbye.